This time on PlayStation Rumble, we channel our inner luchador to face Carlos Calaca, ruler of the dead, in order to save El Presidente's daughter in Drinksbox Studios' Metroidvania Guacamele Super Turbo Championship Edition. Hello and welcome to PlayStation Rumble, where we dive into the PlayStation archives to unearth one game at a time. My name is Jamie and joining me as always is Tony. What up? And Joshua. Yo, this is going to be the Super Turbo Championship episode right here. <laughs> I feel it. If you want to skip straight to that Super Turbo Championship conversation, the timestamps will be in the show notes. Our next game is going to be Mafia, the definitive edition. But before we get on to talking about the game, I want to hear about what you guys have been up to. Tony, what have you been playing? Uh, I think this is last episode, nothing much. I'm kind of on a rut where I don't really want to play anything specific. Um, This is going to age like milk, but I did play the Resident Evil 4 uh, demo. <laughs> by the time this comes out, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be 2024. And we don't tell them how we make the podcast. Too. <laughs> it's going to be like, it's not, it's probably, be, it's probably more like August by the time this fucking comes out. And then, <laughs> well, let, let me ask you, Tony, are you looking forward to Resident Evil 4 remake? Do I have to answer that question? Yes, I am. <laughs> Tony's face lit up like a five-year-old child at Christmas. <laughs> and are you getting it? Are you getting it day one? Uh, depends on how, uh, if there's no performance issues in the final product. I'm gonna, I'm biding my time of this shit because it's been <laughs> happening to too many games in the past, uh, Three months. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that shit is going to come out at seventy, seventy dollars, right? I think it's no, 60. it's uh, it's, uh, it's sixty. It's Capcom, a modest sixty. Because Capcom wants uh wants more money. Is it also a PS4 version or is it exclusive next gen? I don't. I haven't really been following it's, it that it's, hard. It's last gen too. That's probably why they're keeping it sixty because they know everyone would just uh, buy the PS4 version and get the free upgrade. We're never going to escape the ghost of the PS4, are we? There's still games. There's still games coming out that are only for PS4. Well, I mean, is it really only for PS4 if PS5 is backwards compatible? But Jim Ryan said, we believe in generations. <laughs> Jim Ryan. More I like Jim g- Lyon, am I right? It's more Jim- like, <laughs> it's more like the pandemic, uh, it's, more, it's more like the pandemic fucked up their entire plan and then now they have to stay with the PS4 as long as possible. <laughs> and we're all afraid of getting older. That's why we don't want them to shut down the PS3 store. Jim, Jim Ryan is such a specific type of looking British person, which is, a guy who spent most of his life in the 70s and 80s in pubs, in smoky pubs, playing snooker. He like he really looks like your untrustworthy playing what? older relative. Playing what exactly? Snooker. What is that? Snooker. Snooker's like pool, but uh, proper. But British? Um, <laughs> yeah. But without freedom? I can't... It's 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 pool, but with no freedom. I can't get into what snooker's about on the podcast. There just isn't the time. Is it the one with the bumpers? <laughs> is that is that what it is? Or it's a, it's a it's a slightly more complex version of uh, pool. How is it more and, complex? Uh, it's just like eight balls. You have you have two sticks instead of one, and you have to <laughs> I mean, you have to you have, to, you have to hit the the ball and drink tea at the same time. I will show uh, <laughs> fucking tea, man. <laughs> I have my coffee this morning, I'm sorry. Forty-five uh, percent of our listeners are British, but that's because I listen to the podcast a lot. More like fifty-five percent over here in the US stay winning, boys. What are you excited about for it? What are your expectations and what are your uh, what are you worried about? My my most exciting thing about it is playing it for the show. <laughs> that's gonna happen. It is gonna happen. It's on sale right now, Jamie. The original's on sale. Have you got any trepidation about it? Are you worried about Anything that the remake might bring. I like RE4, you know, but I'm not married to having every single detail kept the same. They changed the merchant's voice, the what are you buying guy, and people seem uh, not too pleased about that. Yeah, but I mean, it's been 20 years, man. Get over it. (laughs) Slam. They also had um, the bear from uh, Spongebob voicing the daughter, the president's daughter. Sandy Sandy Cheeks was the voice of the daughter in the in the original. So, did you say the bear from SpongeBob? Yeah, isn't she a bear? <laughs> She's a squirrel. Is she a squirrel? <laughs> oh my sorry, gosh! Yeah. 
Dude, how dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a 12 year old child. I I haven't watched SpongeBob since like high school. First of all, first of all, shut up. Second of all, what's the character? Sandy Cheeks is a squirrel. Well, I'm glad we chatted the about bear. that. <laughs> you can just completely cut uh, that out. The bear. No, keep you. that. Keep that in. Joshua, have you had any more luck? What have you been playing? I've had quite a bit of luck. It's been a while since we've recorded, so I've been fairly fairly busy in regards to gaming. I've been playing bo- on both my PlayStation and my Switch. I played through SpongeBob SquarePants: The Cosmic Shake. You better believe I had that. How was it? It was it was better than Battle for Bikini Bottom. That's good because I want it to be better than Battle for Bikini Bottom. <laughs> it, it it is better. I got I got the platinum in a weekend when I had COVID. It was awesome. Like the production value was higher. The scope of the levels is higher. Um, but it's it's more linear as as opposed to Battle for Bikini Bottom, which was more like a sandboxy style. But it still had really good levels, and it was really it was really fun. I I recommend it. And at forty bucks, there's there you really can't go wrong. Now I'll be picking that up. I have also been I've finally been playing through God of War Ragnarok after having the platinum for the first game, and. <laughs> You don't have to. Just, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know you. I know you don't, Jamie. I just have to make it certain. Um, I'm surprised you uh, went to that game so soon. I so it's it's funny that you say that because they bundled God of War Ragnarok with PS5s. So there are a bunch of people who will sell their codes, who bought just the system and didn't want the game. And so there's so much of them on the market that the price comes down a lot. I. I bought a code for like thirty dollars. Wow, that's not bad. I don't think considered. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, thirty dollars, I'll buy it. I'll just wait until it, it inevitably becomes free in the PSN. Like with uh, what's the one game that just did that recently? Forbidden West. Yeah, it's free uh, on the PlayStation for the uh, PS Plus users. That felt soon. I I bought that game the day before we re recorded our first episode. That's when I bought Forbidden <laughs> has West. Has it even has it even been a year? It's been over a year. It's been just over a year because it came out like right around Elder Ring came out, and then Elder Ring just completely. It was February last year. It didn't. It came out like the same time as Elder Ring, and then Elder Ring completely overshadowed it because Horizon has no luck. But Ragnarok's good so far. I don't have much more to say about it because I'm only like ten hours in. And then on the Switch side, I've been playing. Let me tell you about some remakes on the Switch. <laughs> Please do. Number one, three words for you: Metroid Prime Remastered. Holy hell, guys. This is already one of the greatest games ever made. And this is this is a remaster that has done so well. So well. That if they charged full price for it, I wouldn't even blink. I wouldn't even complain. It is one of the best looking games on the Switch. It's one of the best playing games on the Switch. The atmosphere is still awesome. The soundtrack is still amazing after over 20 years. If you have a Switch and you respect yourself at all and, and like having fun like the rest of us, <laughs> go out and buy Metroid Prime Remastered. I will personally I will personally go door to door and make sure that you, that everyone who has a Switch has this <laughs> game. This game needs to sell. Well, it's, I mean, it is selling because it's like... It, it's selling very well, yes. I ordered my copy like what, like a month ago and I just now got it? Yeah, the pre-orders were sold out immediately. I only ended up getting a copy because I happened to walk into my local walmart like the day after the physicals came out and they had they still had a full row of them so i so i looked out and man i'm so glad i bought that i was so excited for it it's amazing it's the only metroid game that i that that i go yeah i'd actually play that the other the other two are awesome i'm sure they are like on all the 2d stuff it looks great it just doesn't look it just doesn't naturally go make me go i'm dying to play that yeah i think it actually takes me it plays between like Super Metroid and Metroid 2, I think, or something like that. It's like some weird canon. It's between, I think it's either takes place before Metroid 1 or between Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion. I think it's something like it's like between either 2 and 3 or, or 3 or and 4. Super and uh, Fusion. So I something mean, like that. You don't have to think too hard about the timeline. It's just. Prime, Prime one, two, and three. I hope they. Re- I hope, hope, hope they remaster two and three before Prime four comes out. But I don't think Prime four is very far away. Do you, does it make you more helpful, uh, hopeful for Prime four that now the remakes come out? 
Absolutely. I was concerned that Retro would not be able to, to deliver a like a, a modern Metroid Prime game on Switch that that looked and ran well, but Metroid Prime Remastered, it looks so good, I refused to play it in hand. I always wanted to play on the TV. And it ran immaculately. And it didn't and it didn't look super pixely or blown up like some Switch games do. It was just all around it. Really great game. I think it's um it's actually close to 1080p. It's like 900p or something like that. It's like very it's very up there. It's very much up there. It's 900. It's 900. It but it looks it looks about 1080 to to my eye. It it's done really well. And the other before I get too sucked into Metroid, the other remake, remake remaster. It doesn't matter. The other one I've been, the other game <laughs> I've been playing that was that was once a game on a different system is Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe. This is a re a remake of Kirby's Return to Dreamland on the Wii. I loved that game. It is it is one of the best Kirby games in the series, and this this remake is also excellent. They've added a whole like Mario Party sub mode. They've added two copy abilities. They added a new epilogue story. Awesome. And both this and Metroid Prime Remastered, I have a I have a case of I swear it looked like this when I played the original syndrome. Both of them, they look really good. And I was like, yeah, that's that's how I remember them looking. But man, the comparisons the comparisons show how much work was done to both. So kudos to Nintendo. You've released two games within a span of two weeks that I actually wanted to buy. And I bought them both at full price. Well done, Nintendo. I am the recent proud owner of switch and uh i haven't had a nintendo console since game boy advance and i was never a big like nintendo guy anyway i never had like 64 or snes like the, the only nintendo things i've had is a game boy a game boy advance and now a switch and everyone like, you know my brother had a wii everyone played on the wii you've missed a lot oh cool that means you can you can uh you can go on the snes emulator and play super metroid the uh, best game of all time well that's exactly what I have been doing. Not Metroid, but oh, you got my oh man! <laughs> <laughs> the best game is it's the it's my goat. The best game of all time. Okay, um, as you said, I've missed a lot, and Nintendo Online have those services now, don't they? They have the NES, SNES games because they're not going to sell them to you anymore. They want you to just have their online system forever, and it's been such a pleasure exploring like nintendo's back catalog and i've played more mario in the last two months than i have in my whole life and i got some hot take what's your favorite so far jamie what's uh, your favorite of the of the classic games what's your favorite it's hard with these old games because rewind is there the save the saving in a lot of nes and snes games is a joke so i'm trying not to use it sometimes i use it i went back and i played um super mario 3 it's a good game did you know, guys? Super Mario Three. No, never. Is that I, I there must be some it. sort of hidden gem, some hidden yeah, indie yeah, gem. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. I played Donkey Kong Country. Oh man, that game's still one of the best looking games that's ever come out. <laughs> so good. Jesus Christ, that game looks really good. Is it slightly unfair sometimes? Yes, it really does give you a few sucker punches. No, I think it's perfectly applicable for at the time. It's fine. It does like um, it does those things where like. You would, you would only know an enemy is about to spring out of you if you've played that level before. There's a little bit of memorization. There's a little bit of that Crash Bandicootness about it. The only part that always got me was uh, the cave with the cart. When you're on the cart, you just have to remember that episode. Yeah, I, I, that, those are the, that's the only level that really like gets me stuck for a while. Yeah. I, I could not imagine like mid-90s like getting that in my hands and going, fuck, I can play that. So that's been really good. Controversial takes. Uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Crash Team Racing is better than um, Mario Kart. You're wrong, but okay. Well, look, I know I'm on the wrong side of history here, but I'm right. Sometimes you just got to stand to your convictions. Mario Kart 8, the presentation on that is exceptional. Like, literally, probably one of the most high, highly polished games presentation-wise I've ever seen. The music is, like, fantastic. That full orchestra, the fact that it speeds up on the third lap, the, the graphics, like, everything is amazing. The mechanics, the actual driving, Crash wipes the floor of it. <laughs> Tony's disagreeing here. You're just wrong. That's, 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 there's, there's certain facts in life, and that's one. I know you're saying that, but I could give you I could give you a rundown reason why Crash is better, why it's more in depth, why it's an actual better driver. I don't think you could for Mario. Mario's great because 
your friend can, who's never played it can come and play and they might have a chance of winning. I'm in agreement with you, Jamie. I do, I do, I do prefer Crash Team Racing. It, it pains me to say it. Crash Team Racing, best carton game that's ever been. I bought it, I was forced to buy it and I played it and I hated it. Yeah, that's because it you know, involved a bit of skill. Um, oh. <laughs> second hot take while I'm at it, while I'm pissing people off. Now listen. Just say it, just rip off the band-aid. Super Mario 64, Mario 64 is an exceptional game and broke so many boundaries and the DNA of it is in every game that's come out since that game released. It hasn't aged as well as I think some people would lead you to believe. And I think that actually Crash 1 has aged better than um, Mario 64. There you go, I've said it. But only because, but only because, don't, before you put that lemon face at me, only because Crash was less ambitious in what it was doing mechanics-wise. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of the law of games now is seeded in Super Mario 64, but that's come on such a long way that you feel the difference between them. It's like playing GoldenEye. I was on board until you said Crash 1 has aged better. But I also thought you were going to say that, because I, I agree with you about Mario 64, but I thought you were going to say that Banjo-Kazooie has aged better. And I was going to say, hell yes, preach it, brother. <laughs> and then you said Crash 1, and I was like, oh. Would you say Crash 2? I mean, Crash 2 is definitely aged better than... Oh, Crash 2, I, yeah. Crash 2, yes. I thought that was unfair, because obviously Crash 1 and Mario 64 came out on the same year. Crash 2, yes. Mar uh, Crash 1, no. So those are my hot takes. What can I say? I like Crash Bandicoot. What's your favorite classic game you've played so far? Um, it's got to be Super Mario. Uh, Mario 3, isn't it? Respect. The nice thing about these classics is you get to see where a lot of where a lot of games now have come from, where you know what they're inspired by, where their origins are, and that leads us into this episode's game, Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition. Guacamelee is a Metroidvania released in 2013 by Drinkbox Studios. You control Juan, who becomes a legendary luchador after being killed by Kalaka. To stop the villain and save the princesa, you have to traverse the land of the living and the dead to gain awesome powers and deliver the smackdown. It's my pick, which means the uh, responsibility falls upon me to ask you gentlemen... What do you think the Metacritic score for Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition was? And still is. Mm, it's a hard one. It is a hard one. I've, I would, uh, this is the clue I'm going to give you both first. I was surprised. Uh, 85? <laughs> he said confidently. He, Joshua? He took my number, so I'm going to say 84. Okay. Well, will that play better for you? Let's find out. The Metacritic score for Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition on the PS4 is 87%. Wow. This game done good. <laughs> yeah, that's high, right? Wow, that is high. T, you're the winner. Well done. Congratulations, Tony. Go jump off a bridge or something. <laughs> such a <di> such <laughs> a difference in his face. You win this bag. You win this bag of garbage on my desk. Do that. Every <laughs> Why is the garbage on your desk? Every time I win, you should just play the the platinum sound, platinum um, trophy thing. Noise. <laughs> it's the only way you guys I've, are going to hear it. Ooh. I've gotten. The, I have like five or six uh, <laughs> platinums, all, um, Joshua. So watch your mouth. I have respect for my time, so I've got very few. <laughs> I don't five or I don't have five or six hundred like you, but I have I got a good handful. Uh, I've I've got at least more than three. I could tell you that much. So guacamole, we're just going to call it guacamole from here on out. I'm not yes. doing the whole the whole yes. shebang. Guacamole was developed by Drinkbox Studio. It was released in uh, 2013. I didn't realize this was so long ago. I thought it was like a it's ten years, fifteen, sixteen games. Yeah, it's ten years. Jesus, that makes you feel old. On the PlayStation. Three and Vita, and then the Super Turbo Championship Edition released in 2000. Fuck, it was on the PS Vita and the PS3. It was, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Turbo Championship Edition released in 2014 on, like, everything. You can play this game on your your, your old school calculator. It is on everything. Oh, it's like Doom, Jamie. <laughs> uh, the game draws inspiration from a sort of traditional Mexican culture and folklore, 
And I thought what was most stunning about this game was its presentation. So let's start off there. I've got a review for you guys. Uh, so let's see if you agree with this. It's by Turbo Dog. I mean, it's zero out of ten. Already off to a good start. And Turbo Dog's opinion is thus. I'll be honest. I hate this new style of HD indie. They look more like a sharp looking flash game. They seem to lack any fine detail, which makes the game very dull to me. Guacamelee bored me after three to four minutes. The graphics were so boring and lifeless that I couldn't bear to play it anymore. The text boxes and the story I skipped after reading a few badly written sentences. Then after trying to use the slushy controls to walk from one NCP to another in a crudely badly animated world, I turned it off, uninstalled, and I will never play again. So the question is, is Turbo Dog right? Uh, and I want to I want to talk about these graphics because for me I thought one of the one of the strongholds of this game was its visual representation. I thought it was amazing. What do you guys think? I mean, I get what he's saying about the graphic style because that was very much the graphic style of its time. But I mean, there really wasn't all that much dialogue, so I don't know what they're complaining about. And if they only played for like four minutes. What did they really experience? It was nice looking. It was sleek. Had had its um, own uh, style for the most. I mean. How that, I guess, flashed out is a bad way to describe it, but it has that clean art style from the time that a lot of indie games had. Yeah, it kind of looks like those sort of old, if you look at like uh, the old Hercules Disney film, that kind of, not block colours, but quite uh, sort of simple but vibrant colour scheme going on. And not, not overly detailed characters, but stylistic. There's a lot of like I think even uh there's even, I think a lot of uh, kids cartoons at the time not kids cartoons particularly but a lot of cartoons at the time actually had like a similar style too like it's very much of that particular era from like like the mid late two thousands to like maybe the mid tens um, yeah but I thought that was popping I mean the reason I played this game for the first time is because I like I saw a two second YouTube clip of it and I went I went what's that game that looks amazing I like I like the visuals quite a bit I I think the it is a bit simple, but the the solid colors and the sharp lines, I think they they go along really well with the setting for the game, and they're they're very complementary. So they can use a lot of these bright and disparate colors. You're you're playing as a luchador, and luchadors they're very they're very ostentatious. You know, it's it's a it's a presentation kind of thing, and sort of like and the colors are doing the same thing where they're like really hitting you in the face, and they're and they're not pulling their punches. Um, my only criticism is that the environments themselves aren't super memorable or interesting. It's more so the usage of colors, where I remember the colors more than I do the the places themselves. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. I did. I genuinely found myself, and I don't do this a lot in 2D games, stopping and just admiring the frame that I was on because of a lot of the detail in the background because of the color scheme, because of being able to switch from that sort of the living world to the night world. And I think it was a stylistic choice in the way that it does. I mean, I'm going to admit to you now, I'm not, I'm not authentically Mexican, nor do I, nor do I claim to be, <laughs> but it felt like it fat, it fit with the, the, the themes that it was trying to sort of uh, portray. And the fact that it's kind of more like a fable rather than, you know, depicting a, a real life situation. It's not a last of us, is it? Yeah, it would if if the graphics were aiming for more realism, I think the game would have looked worse. Yeah, for sure. And these games are on a budget, you know. They're 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 smaller studios. They're trying to do what they can. Um, I, what what I think sewed it in more for me was the music. The music in this game was absolutely popping from beginning to end. And I want to play a clip for you guys now. I think this is just like the main uh, theme that goes along. But just to give you an impression of how lively that was and how much uh, how much of the game was in it. I mean that's sick, isn't it? Like you that's feel like good. you're in a an old school Mexican film, maybe there's a standoff happening. I mean what what did you think of the of the music guys? I thought that was uh that was ten out of ten across the board. I think the music did a really good job of of being appropriate to the setting of the game and also being a p- appropriate moment to moment because it does because you know the 
the use of trumpets and how they're trilling and this is really loud bombastic um soundtrack it sounds authentic to the culture that this game is about and it's also very fitting i just 10 out of 10 great job great job on the soundtrack yeah i agree with that um the thing that really particularly like stood out as completely memorable to me honestly like personally but i still did enjoy the um soundtrack and it's like uh like joshua said it, they really did capture the essence of what they were going for of the culture and everything so i mean it was enjoyable the way that the game is is paced with how juan moves and how you flow through some of the levels it it gets really close to being you're almost encouraged to move in step to some of the tracks it, it gets it gets really close to that i honestly think this the the soundtrack did like 50 percent of the of the heavy work lifting this game and when you put it onto the so you can you can change between the the world of the living and the world of the dead and if you switch into the world of the dead when you get that ability later in the game it has the same sound check but like a echoey feel and they kind of move I've, i'm not even sure if they kind of like take in or take out some instruments but it just uh it's so cool how they kind of have represented every song in like two different versions it made you feel it made you feel farther away yes yeah, and isolated. Um, no, so cool. Uh, and as the game ends up climaxing, the music really pumps up and it really starts going. There's also like a lot of references in the music. So it's not just like this Mexican folk uh, music, but it kind of has a lot, a lot of chip tune, late 90s, like Game Boy kind of like synthy stuff going on in the background as well. Um, and there's a lot of references in it. I don't know if you guys picked this up. But did that, did either of you hear any uh, references to other games in the music? I actually did not. No. All right, I'm going to play this for you now, and I'm I'm surprised with you guys, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> I'm going <gonna, laughs> to I'm going to share this with you now. Just let me know if it is too loud. I think this was probably the most obvious of them all. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. That's that's the that's the underground theme. They do Super Mario just in the middle of it. When I heard that, it was like, oh, that's cool. And there's loads of Easter eggs in this game. Did you guys catch any other Easter eggs from? Uh... I I caught a lot of the visual ones. Like in in one of the towns, they have the posters. They have like Castle Crashers, Mario Brothers. They've they've got a they've got a ton. And then the and then the really obvious one with the the Chuzo statues being being the Chozos from Metroid. Yes. There was a few Legend of Zelda things as well, like in there, like uh as one of the fights that are being advertised and it's like one of the fighters are wearing Majora's mask. Mm. And um there's there's one for UT in there as well. There's one where the one of the posters for the fights is Batman versus Bane. I haven't. I didn't see. I think I might have seen the Bane one. I think I saw a Bane poster. Oh yeah, the, I did. I I did see the. I did see the Batman one because a lot of them. A lot of them are in Spanish. Yes. And so this is this is one of those areas where if you if you're going through and you don't know what these words, if you don't know what the words are, then sometimes it may be lost to you. It's like, oh yeah, you know, los hermanos, los hermanos. Oh yeah, the brothers. That kind of thing. And sometimes you could you could slightly decipher that. Sometimes you couldn't. I mean, it's one that says Lost Casa Crashers. That's Castle Crashers, yeah. obviously. But um, on a wider note, I thought the humor was was quite on point on this game as well. There was a lot of like these grand themes happening, these sort of epic themes, but the dialogue between the characters would be really domestic. And I thought that was always quite good for a laugh. Like when Flameface is with Clucker and you're there, but you're as a chicken. And Flameface is like, oh, can I, can I, like, uh, can I burn this turkey, please? You know, it, it, it can be my birthday present. There's loads of little, like, very informal language that kind of gave the the game a bit of humor. Did you did you think this game was funny? I'm I'm thinking back on the on the humor, and I guess there were a few lines that made me chuckle, but for the for the most part, the game kind of played up its parodical nature, where it's like, oh, hey, you know we're we're spoofing this thing from from this game we're spoofing this thing from this game and that kind of stuff and at first it was like yeah that's kind of cute but they really keep it up through like almost the entire game and at some point i was kind of like okay well i get it like the 
the joke with the the Chuzo statue is that the that the guy who's giving you the power is like, hey, you don't just come in here. I, I don't come into your house and destroy your stuff. Well, you got to go destroy all these statues. Like, oh yeah, that's that's funny. And then they 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 keep that joke up every single time. And I'm like, okay. Or like the what was it? The main the like the like the villainess. She keeps on like telling bad jokes. She's like, you didn't find that funny. And I was like, no, I didn't. Let's look at the character designs then. Like, I thought all the antagonists were quite well defined and had their own backstory and their own kind of personality. I thought they were cool. How did how did you feel about some of the character designs in it? Yeah, definitely. Like you know, like I said, the villainess she had her own style and everything uh you even if you if you don't pay attention to what they're saying which i I've, at one point i just kind of skipped a lot of dialogue because it wasn't the humor wasn't clicking with me i just i just didn't find it very funny um a lot of times but yeah but you could like just from their reactions to things you could tell all their personalities like you said like the villainess like the the flamehead um uh this is the one guy of the uh they have like a tiger mask on yes that is ja- jaguar javier yeah, so like a lot, there was a lot of personality that I, I was still able to sense. It's just some of the humor just, it just, I don't, it just didn't work with me. Fair enough. I mean, there's one point where Clacker was like, "We must use this woman as she's going to be uh, our sacrificial virgin," and uh, the daughter <laughs> goes, "We might have to talk about uh, that virgin." Uh, <laughs> that 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 was a good joke. That did get me. I did, I, I did, I did like, I did like the antagonists. So, it, and it was, and it was cool to get to, to get to see, to kind of get to see them all. And then you, you, you see their personality, you get to fight them, and then, and then you learn more about their backstory. Flameface, Flameface is really cool. I was really, I was really soft on Jaguar Javier until you beat him, and then you get his backstory where he's like, oh, I was the luchador who, who was gonna save the world but but i couldn't you know i i was i was the student of the goat guy but then you know i failed so i joined kalaka i'm like oh yeah that's that's actually a really cool touch and then the 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 trio de la muerte they're they're really funny with just just the stupid looking skeleton guy with other skeletons and they're all playing instruments and they're like well correct me if i'm wrong but didn't they have like another member that wasn't attached to them and they were trying to get they were trying to get their fourth member oh maybe i, I just remember them talking about a lot about like it's like union humor and like work conditions and stuff like that <laughs> uh, yeah i feel like there was more effort you could tell that this thing is dripping in effort in a way that they didn't need to go through all that they didn't need to have backstories today they could have just been kind of like in a like a banjo game we just get like this very colorful character and they sort of say some wacky things but this felt like it, it had some attention given to like the world and the backstory. I I will also I will also point out that even some of the names are jokes. Like the main character is his name is uh, Juan Aguacate, and for those for those who don't know, Aguacate is the Spanish word for avocado. Um, Dad, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. I I I did I did listen to some of the <laughs> Spanish words you taught me, but the but the idea of a character being named ostensibly Juan as in one avocado is is funny to me as much as i enjoy the presentation of this game being an indie game at its core it's got to be gameplay focused I'm going to have to rely on you guys a little bit here because this is actually my first Metroidvania kind of game. <sighs> Shocking. 2023, this is my first one. Is this your only Metroidvania experience, Jamie? Yes. This is the only Metroidvania you've ever played? Yes. You've never played like a Zelda game? No. All right. Let me crack, you let, let me crack my arms. Let me crack no, my no, knuckles. No, 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 no. Stop it. <laughs> you never played a Zelda game? Yes. <laughs> Yes, you have, or yes, you have it. Yes, I have never played a Zelda game. Get the fuck off this podcast. <laughs> I think I'm in get the, the right. Get I'm the hell the... off this PlayStation podcast. <laughs> yeah. We're not playing a Nintendo franchise. Um, so this is what I want to know. F- You've had to play a Metroidvania game. You just don't think it's a Metroidvania. Like, 
the only technically Tomb Raider could be a Metroidvania. Have you played Tomb Raider? I've not played. It's not that I'm an idiot. I've just not played a Metroidvania game. Have you played Tomb Raider? Well, the recent ones, or like the, the original ones? ones, the old ones. Not really. I mean, I think I played a, a bit when I was younger, but I mean, they're not really Metroidvania. Even then, if he's if he's played if he's played other games that could you, that you could make the argument that they're Metroidvanias. Ultimately, this is like a traditional Metroid style game. I wouldn't say it's traditional. It's not really. It's close to it. Well, this is what I want to know. What I thought worked really well about this game, and so what I understand about Metroidvania is, is you acquire skills throughout that let you access different areas that you couldn't before. What I found really effective in this game is the powers that you would gain throughout the whole game not only worked as letting you access new areas of the map, but were also implemented in combat. So you got like a uh, you got like a headbutt. And that you could use that in combat, and then you could break through walls that required a headbutt. That, was, that, that duality, I thought, was so well designed. Is that typical for a Metroidvania game? Um, part of it, yeah. Sometimes they're dual use. Sometimes they're not. It depends on the focus of the game a lot. If it's it, you know, sometimes you'll have Metroidvanias that are more about the movement system. Sometimes you'll have really heavy combat ones like Hollow Knight. But it's not. It's not unheard of. But a lot of them are relying on getting abilities to get to X area because you couldn't get there before, and and opening up a branching test, opening up branching paths that connect back to, you know, X, Y, and Z are connected together, and you can use X ability on Z to get to the next area. I thought the pacing of giving you the new powers throughout the game was so even and kept the game fresh in in a game that otherwise might have been stale with the same combat, the same platforming. It was like literally until about 80, 90% through the game, you were still getting powers that kind of kept the momentum of the game going. And I thought that was really effective. How, how did you feel about the sort of the Metroidvania aspects of it, the sort of gaining new powers, becoming more powerful? I never felt overwhelmed by it. Uh, and, I, and I thought it, it kept it fresh. How did you guys feel? Overall, it's functional. Like it's not like it's not bad. And it, and it does its job. And I, I did like the pace of you're almost constantly, you're, you're pretty quickly getting new abilities. So, so it's paced pretty well. The backtracking. So, and you know what I mean when I say backtracking? Yeah. Okay. And the backtracking, uh, is kind of where I start, where, where the cracks start to show for me because you have, you, you, you were saying you have abilities like the headbutt and you have blocks that you can break. I don't like the blocks that much because cuz it's just oh hey here's a giant yellow yellow obstacle that doesn't fit in with the world at all <laughs> you have one particular ability and that's and that's really all that it's for it's that and when enemies turn yellow so not all of the abilities in my opinion are particularly well executed i was using the headbutt in combat i was loving that thing you can chain you can chain the moves and i think it works a lot better in combat I don't think it, I don't think a lot of those abilities work well when it comes to exploration because because you just have a block system here's a block of this color use this particular move here's a block of this color use this particular move it takes it takes a lot of the thought or some of the thought out of traditional metroidvanias you know Tony's favorite super metroid you'll have like the grapple beam and there will be specific points that you can grapple onto but you have to look for those points and know that when you get the grapple beam and you can ping them, that you're like, oh, well, there's this That's what it's grapple for. spot. And the thing, I was, I just played through Metroid Prime Remastered. There's different uses, different use cases for the grapple beam. So sometimes it's just like stagnant points that you just zip onto and pull yourself forward. There's a, there's other instances where there's a little flying creature, and if you don't pay attention to that creature, you're not going to know. But if you pay attention, you'll see, oh, that's a grapple point too. I can grapple to that. And so you there's you still get a little bit of an aha moment when you acquire some of these abilities. Whereas with Guacamelee, as far as exploration is concerned, it's pretty cut and dry. And I think the only power that did have that aha moment was the slightly sometimes hidden chicken paths. When you go into a chicken and you're smaller and you can find a little path. Those yeah. are sometimes hidden, but apart from that, yeah. that point. And even then, it's like, oh, there's a small path. It's, oh, yeah, chicken. Yeah, that was, that was, I mean, I guess since you're new to the genre, Jamie, it's like, oh, cool. It's like, I was like, okay, I see this little path. Okay, I can get there. There's something hidden there. 
And it was nice to be able to go through some of the levels in a different way. Just some things, especially I'm someone who likes to try to search every nook and cranny of a level to try to find everything. Sometimes, like well, if I if I see something that interests, uh, if I see something that seems weird, I'm going to inspect it. And so I found a lot of the little hidden pathways. So what about the combat combat on whole? I some I saw a lot of conflicting opinions about this, and I think it is a uh, combat system that kind of allows you to smash buttons, the square button primarily. But I do feel like there is more depth there for the person who wants to dive into a bit more, particularly with the aerial attacks and comboing your enemies in the air. And it could be frustrating at parts and you can't kind of like break their attack animation a lot. But I genuinely found the combat more than serviceable. That sounds really raw, but I thought it was actually quite good. Yeah, I thought the combat was uh, fluid for the most part. Um, That's about it. It was fluid, but it felt like, especially later on in the game, uh, where they there's kind of a kind of an unexpected uh difficulty curve, and it felt like uh sometimes some of the little battle rooms I guess you call uh, whatever you call them the arenas I guess you call them, it felt like it was more intended for having multiple players like couch co-op some of the times because a lot of times like you said there's enemies you have to attack for certain colors otherwise if you don't attack them in time they'll change the colors it felt like it got a little too chaotic. Which I think was also might have been a fault of just what those of indie games were at the time. Well, uh, they were a lot of always a lot of uh, indie games that were always want to try to you know a lot of gotcha moments or just want to be difficult because that was kind of the trend. Um, I didn't have much of a problem with it, but I could see how it's um, maybe kind of disheartening or intimidating to people not not really by uh, you playing like you know pretty chill Metroidvania game and all of a sudden you're going to combat rooms and then trying to have to do these uh, wacky platforming with all the different abilities that I'm sh- I'm sure a lot frustrate a lot of people, which I've read a few comments of people being frustrated towards the end because either a reaction time or they just didn't want to deal with it. So I could see, uh, I could see both sides, but I felt the comment was serviceable, but it just felt like it was more intended for multiple players at the same time. Which you can do in this game. You can do. And that's, that's why I think a lot of combat rooms, which is the way I was looking for, combat rooms was uh, designed for multiple players and not just a single player. I was going to say that um, the combat is serviceable. It is a bit it is a bit mashy. And I think that as far as the combat rooms are concerned, I think there are too many in this game. I felt like I was constantly as I'm trying to progress through, I'm constantly stopped. And that's okay because the game, you know, a big portion of the game is devoted to this combat. So you want to make sure that, that there is some of that. But I did constantly feel like I was being paused when I didn't want to be. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm almost there. Can I, can't I just get there? Especially at the, at the last section of the game, it was like just one after the other, after the other and it. And it was, and it was a bit much. Until then, it felt like they were always for a purpose. It's like, here's a new type of enemy, or here's a new thing you have to do to right. destroy an enemy. And they'd never actually be that difficult. Yeah, and then they just, they just, th- they just start throwing stuff at you. And, it, and, it, and it, got a, it got a bit much for me. That's why I kind of think that some of it was intended to have like couch co-op or online multiplayer. But I think a lot of it was intended for you know couch co-op, for more one play. And sometimes it became frustrating and overwhelming for the sake of just being frustrating and overwhelming because that was kind of the, at the trend at the time when you'd have enemies and then you'd have bombs with a timer and you'd have to destroy the bombs and the enemies that that got on my tits a little bit and there are some where the timing has to be really precise or you just lose yeah there was one room where it kind of was like the bombs just kind of circled the room and you had to if, if you weren't at towards the end if you weren't dead on you were gonna you're gonna fail oh yeah yeah there was a few a few bits of this game where I had to, I took a few moments to get through it. They they push you, they they don't push you too hard throughout most of the game, and then at the end they push you pretty hard when it comes to learning the mechanics. One other thing I want to add is, um, I just want to say the uppercut. I I like the idea of a big fancy uppercut, but something that is required so frequently in terms of exploration or a gauntlet, what have you that it constantly halts your momentum. And I just never, it just never ceased to bother me. You'll be running and then you'll jump and you'll do the uppercut and you just like pause and you just like hang in the air for a bit and then you land and then you keep going. I quite like that because it was forgiving of my <laughs> the platforming moments. 
Um, but yeah, no fair point. And you do have a natural uppercut as well, don't you? You have like a the square uppercut. Yeah, the the combat them. uppercut. Yeah. I'm talking about the the rooster uppercut. Yes, yes. One part that genuinely didn't feel like it was designed for the multiplayer aspect of this game was the platforming. I thought it would have been hell if I had another player trying to do very precise platforming. But I thought the combat was okay. I thought the combat was like seven out of ten. I thought the platforming was actually on another level it was so good particularly with all these powers so like you can you can by the end you can do a double jump you can do an uppercut which gives you basically a third jump you can do a dash forward and there's like you you also in the puzzles have to switch between the living world and the dead world to like make things phase in and out um i just thought it was i i, I don't think i could have asked for more in the platforming they were puzzle like they required a lot of skill from you. Uh, what did you guys think of the platforming? The platforming, I what Guacamelee does well, and and what I like when platformers do is when they take all the mechanics and they blend them together. So you have to sort of think of all of them at once. And there were some situations where the platforming challenge, I had to think about it a minute first before before I realized, oh, this is how I go through this. So that. That was that was pretty satisfying. Um, so th- those moments were pretty good, but I don't think that the moments. It's it's weird because I wasn't super hot on the combat near the end of the game, but I was a lot harder on the platforming near the end of the game. But leading up to that end of the game, the platforming, I was kind of like, eh. It seemed it seemed you know, hit or miss. It was just kind of it was kind of there, and the and this is where the uppercut thing. This is where the uppercut thing comes in. When when you're jumping and you want to get up to a particular spot and you want just a little bit higher and you can't quite get there. And you know, I'm like, oh, well, I got to do the uppercut. Well, you got to hang in the air for a few seconds. I'm like, man, it just really feels like I can't properly um, jump through areas that I'm constantly having to pause. And the whole game, I'm thinking, man, if only I had a double jump, this would be so much more <laughs> And then they give you a double jump, like at like at the very end of the game. Probably too late. Yeah, it could have come before. And I'm like, I really wish this was in the game earlier. That would have that would have felt a lot better. The dash negates the hang time that you have from the uppercut when you get the dash, because then you can go uppercut dash, and it's like yeah, you can you can you can do dash after it, and and once and some of the gauntlets where you have to like break through the blocks and use your abilities in sequence. I did like that. Yeah. Particularly when finding the extra chests, they would be like extra challenging. I thought that was good. Absolutely, yeah. So, so over overall, I was I was positive on it. Uh, I uh, oh oh boy, um, <laughs> I'm not gonna go too hard on it. It's just I thought it was fine, but I guess I'm just kind of looking at it from a, like like a, from a different perspective. I just think that they could have done more of it early on to have that sudden curve towards the end because. I just thought um, I've never been a big fan of uh, that style of indie game at the, at the time where they like to like just throw difficult at you for, just for the sake of throwing difficult at you, and this, that's that's kind of what it felt like. I mean, to me, it was fine, but I could see from another perspective that it was kind of bullshit. Some of the things like I can go through some of those long gauntlets and I'm fine. Or maybe I'll die once or twice, but I'll figure it out. But I can definitely see people getting frustrated and be like, "This is not for me." Like, how come all of a sudden it's like this? Cause, you know, an example, you know, I wasn't big on ukulele, impossible layer, but I will, I did give it credit for, as you played all the levels, you learned the abilities to where when you went to the possible layer, you're like, okay, I've done this before. It might have been easier, a lot easier, but it was there. This kind of, felt, some of the ends things were just like, okay, I guess I'm doing this hellscape now, but that's kind of, just kind of a, it's more of a shower thought than, or more of a hot take, I guess. But I mean, like, I thought it was fine for what it was, but it's just, it turns like a, just a trend of a lot of those indie games at the time did that. I just, I just don't like that approach. I genuinely thought, I mean, I don't know if you're going for all the extra chests, but I thought. Oh, I got those chests. Yeah. I feel like the challenges were like that perfect balance of, I can't get this instantly. I need to think about what I need to do. And then I need to spend another few minutes like doing the perfect execution of it. And that that stayed the same the whole game. And if that stays the same, it means they are leveling that up just perfectly for me. 
I tell you also what saved this game, which I didn't have in Abe's Odyssey, which I realise you guys did now, having recorded the podcast, is the fact that in Abe's Odyssey, obviously you guys were re- rewinding and that made that game bearable for you. Say you were on a screen to try and get a treasure chest. The moment you jumped and died, you would go Voop, and you'd go straight back to the beginning of that screen and you could try again. And it was that fact that it was like 0.6 of a, of a second to like retry it that made any difficulty uh, excusable for me because you could just try again. There was no like, you've lost a life, you've lost a checkpoint. There was like a very forgivingness about that. There's not much else I want to say about it. I, I thought the side missions didn't do enough to drag me in or it didn't seem like the reward was there. You have a shop, obviously, you can buy things, you can buy uh, upgrades for your abilities or hearts to increase your hearts or stamina. Did you guys mess around with like the costumes at all and they had like different rewards and uh, cons? Uh, I think once I realized some of them can make you go, there's one that made you go faster. I think that, and that's the one that wore, uh, I think it was a chicken costume or something like that. <laughs> yeah. If I recall. Yeah. There's some costumes that made you go faster and that's the one I, I used for most of the game. I unlocked the costumes, but I never really experimented with them. And the, side missions i talked to a few people who gave me some side quests and then after they gave them to me i i was just i just kind of shrugged my shoulders and said whatever i don't really feel motivated so i i didn't i didn't do them that's pretty much uh what i did there's not enough motivation to stay in an area long enough to explore it to complete all the side missions like that woman that wants uh all the ingredients for her perfect tortilla yeah no i'm not doing i'm not doing that you go make your own tortilla go grow some wheat (laughs) Go put some sugar in it. I'm not doing it. I did the one where like there's a little girl and her she wants her doll and you're you know you yeah, got like go to the opposite world and get it. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> the other one's like find my band. I'm like I'm not finding your fucking band. Find your own fucking band. You guys are like three feet apart. I'm not doing this right now. Yeah, yeah the game I'm, wasn't no. structured in a way that made you want to go sort of and do those things. I thought I think a lot of those things are part of the DLC uh, anyway. Um, I engaged in like upping my abilities, like making a power driver. I thought that like, the grapple moves. Yeah, I grew up in WWF times. Like doing a power drive is always going to be great, no matter what. Um, but the costumes, even though they had uh, pros and cons, I actually preferred to just play as the avatar of the main character of one. Like I, I changed to the leopard guy at one point. I thought this doesn't feel right. This isn't the same. I'm not playing the main character. None of none of them looked cool enough or funny enough for me to want to use them. Yeah. I did like being the chicken. When The only part of this game where my girlfriend perked up from behind a book is when I was running along as that chicken and doing little chicken jumps. The, the chicken is funny. Yeah, it is funny. And it makes you go faster. <laughs> um, guys, I think if that's everything, it's time to crack on with our final thoughts. Tony, what are your final thoughts? It's an all right Metroidvania game. Uh, if you've never played Dijon before, I would maybe give it a soft recommend. Because it's not nearly nowhere near the best in the genre. Uh, there's others. I think if you want to get into the genre, you should play before this. Like maybe more than just a few. But uh, it's fine. Um, the gameplay is fluid most for the most part. Uh, the art style, and the art direction is great. I just didn't. I wasn't too keen on the sudden difficulty towards the end. Uh, like I said, just from the outside perspective, I didn't really have any problems playing through it. But I could see objectively not objectively but from um, someone else's standpoint being not that great which i kind of wish it was more built up to like jamie said there were those challenge rooms but i don't think that was kind of enough to i mean if you're going to be hard i would say just be hard throughout the game not just don't just throw a curveball towards the end i just kind of think it should, there could be more build up to it like i said i mentioned it like, i didn't i didn't i thought the levels in the ukulele were easy but at least all of that built up to an impossible layer like you knew the impossible layer was coming this kind of just felt like oh i'm hard now game hard now and the combat especially towards the end just felt like it was meant for multiplayer but what jamie also mentioned is the platform would be a complete fucking nightmare to play with four people especially if it brings everyone back to the beginning i don't know how it works so did you enjoy it? Like on a, like on a base level, do you, are you happy you played this game? Mm, it's all right. <laughs> That's a lukewarm uh, six out of ten. Play Symphony of the Night instead, or Super Metroid okay. instead, if you want like a truly classic Metroidvania. Or if you want Metroidvania with a uh, that kind of combat, uh, fucking uh, Joshua's favorite Hollow game, Knight. the little skeleton Hollow guy. Knight. 
Yeah, go play Hollow Knight if you want like a uh, balls to the wall, crazy, hard, uh, challenging Metroidvania. Play Hollow Knight, but soft recommend. Joshua, your final thoughts? Guacamelee is in an unfortunate spot where the game on its own, it's 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 a it's a pretty good game, but it's in a it's in a genre that is one of the great loves of indie developers and happens to have some of the greatest games ever made as Tony alluded to. And as someone who's played a, a bunch of these Metroidvanias, um, Guacamelee just doesn't, just doesn't really, just doesn't really stand toe to toe with them. I, I enjoy the art style. I enjoy the music. It's a, it's a recommend from me with an asterisk of if you're a serious Metroidvania fan, you know, you'll probably get more mileage out of other games in the genre. And if you're looking, if you're a newcomer going into the genre, there are also different games I would recommend. But if, if the art style speaks to you and you think chickens are funny, you know, this is probably, this is probably like top of the line for you. So <laughs> it, overall it's, it, it, it's a recommend just with that little asterisk. Okay. I think what this game excels at is being a very, competent full package there are very few games i could say where i really like the art style i really like the music design and i really like the gameplay for several different aspects does it like super super excel at any one of those things probably not but what game has like such a strong like ensemble of strength going throughout it i also like that it's just like the setting of it like we get every game now said space or it's like really, you know, high uh, fantasy. Very few games look at uh, contemporary times or even like like folklore of different cultures. You know, where's the Bollywood for gaming? Where's the like... It would be, be just DDR, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you know what I'm saying? This, this game went, we're going to look at Mexican culture and we're going to make that into a really fun game. And I think very few games decide to be even as adventurous as making it not like a traditional Japanese setting or a traditional American setting. Uh, so I really appreciate it for that. Uh, this is a highly recommend for me. I think this is genuinely a sleep. I'm <laughs> shocked, shocked face from Tony. This is genuinely, I think a sleeper hit for the PS4. So I'm going to, I'm going to say highly recommend guys. I guess that's it. Um, as always, check us out on our social media at PS Rumble. On the Twitter, when YouTube exists, uh, PlayStation Rumble, um, look at it. I made a video that no one watched about Mirror's Edge. Uh, yeah, look at YouTube, please. I don't care. Subscribe and give give thumbs up. I don't, don't want you. I don't just, just look at it, please, somebody. <laughs> subscribe. Please. Um, but yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, and goodbye. Goodbye. Adios. There aren't a lot of games set in Mexico. No, there aren't. Yeah, and that's my point to to a certain degree. There was a little game called Middle Gear Rising, sir. <laughs> okay, I don't know. If okay, that hang on. Authentic Mexican experience. I'm <laughs> pretty sure that on. was Africa. No, when he put the sombrero. And number two, the sombrero. Come on, guys. Never mind. Metal Gear Rising. Now Guacamelee <laughs> has to compete with Metal Gear Rising. It wasn't. It was any anywhere near fucking New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs>